welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to episode three of the Pastured Pig Podcast. So glad you all decided to join us today, uh, wherever you may be listening. I uh, hope you're having a good day. Um, we're going to quickly jump into our interview, but I just wanted to give a, a brief update. Um, it's one of these days, uh, beautiful evening here in southern West Virginia. Actually, actually, I don't know if you can hear the birds in the background, but sitting out on the back porch, enjoying a cool evening. Uh, we've had a lot of rain lately, so it's nice to be able to sit out here on the porch and, and just enjoy the cool evening without the rain. Uh, the rain has caused issues in the uh, in the pig area and in the, in the uh, woodlot and the pasture, of course, in West Virginia. When you get rain, you get um, you get a lot of red clay mud. So we've had a lot of mud. The pigs have enjoyed it. They're uh, making wallows everywhere. And it's funny, I uh, was going to start this episode off with saying, you know, pigs are jerks, and explain that, but... I thought better of it, but uh, it was funny. One uh, morning, I went down and and checked on the sows, and because I had uh, we we had gone over Memorial Day weekend on vacation, um, I had filled up the large two ton feeder. I didn't fill it, didn't put two tons in it, of course, but put enough feed in the in the two ton feeder so my sows could uh, self feed. Normally, with them, since they're my breeders, I don't, of course, give them unlimited feed source. I usually give them a ration each day, so that requires a daily contact point with them. But uh, this time, since we're going to be gone for a couple of days, I thought, well, I'll feed up, I'll fill up enough feed in the two-ton that they can access it, and, and they do a pretty good job. They don't get too crazy uh, and gorge themselves. Um, even had some feed left when I got back, I realized. But what had happened as the uh, feeder got empty, the next day I was going to go in and take the feeder out and uh, get it back out of the pasture and put it in storage until I needed it again. I go down to the pasture in the morning before going into the office and, and taking my ration down for them, and look, and my feeder has been knocked over into the creek that we have. I have a decent-sized stream in the middle of our uh, valley, and the pigs, I guess, they got it completely empty and thought, well, there's got to be a little, a little bit more underneath it. So as pigs do around here, they flip everything over. So they flip that feeder over, into the creek. Well, I was, I was ready to go into the office. I had a meeting, so I had to, uh, I had to get going. I didn't have a chance to get the tractor to pull it out of there. Well, of course, that night we had an absolute, absolute torrential downpour. <laughs> so, washed the lid off the feeder. The the lid I found, uh, you know, about 200 yards further downstream, and uh, and wedged up against a tree. So I had to dig that out, and and uh, so I have to get uh, the tractor and pull all that out of the creek. So pigs are jerks. Well, um, in this episode, we were able to interview David Crafton of Six Oak Farms. I'm sorry, Six Oaks Farms, plural. He is in South Carolina. And and David's one of those guys, um, he's one of, uh, one of my first interviews and realized, yeah, I didn't really realize who I was talking to till after I talked to him and then started doing more research on him. And this guy is extremely knowledgeable I really appreciate the uh, him taking the time to talk to us. I think we're actually going to have him on again, um, be later on in this summer as we figure out the uh, the episode order and how we're releasing these. 
But uh, David is just a wealth of information. He's on 40 acres in South Carolina. And it's interesting, he actually was had a pretty decent operation in Maryland for 20 years, a beef operation, and moved to South Carolina and started his hog operation. I'll obviously let him tell more of the backstory there. But I think the neatest thing about it is his breeding line. He's actually working on his own genetic line, his own breed of of pastured pork there. And uh, he goes into some detail on that in our interview. And that's really exciting. I'm anxious to come back and interview him multiple times to see how that's going. So we really appreciate David taking the time to speak with us. And we're going to jump right now into that uh, interview. All right, everybody, I'm really excited to have David Crafton on the podcast this evening. Uh, David's in South Carolina, Six Oaks Farms, and uh, he's got a really big operation going on down there, really anxious to talk to him. So without any further ado, uh, David, welcome. Thank you. How are you tonight? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Okay, so so tell me, in, in some of the information we talked about before, uh, before this interview started, uh, you state that you have one of the biggest pastured pig operations in South Carolina. Yeah, I believe so. Um, I've, uh, you know, of course I started small like everybody else. Uh, I guess I started out with about three or four sows. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm breeding, um, I've got 25 sows, what I like to say online, uh, and breeding now, but I've got a bunch more coming up, um, that I've been holding back because, uh, well, we're just that busy, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to keep up with orders, you know, for uh, piglets and pigs and pork. Wow. That's a great thing. That's a great problem to have, isn't it? I'm not complaining. <laughs> okay. Well, um, let's start with uh, talking about uh, your operation. If you don't mind, just um, just give us a, a, a kind of the 40,000 foot elevation details of your setup, uh, how many acres, uh, um, just kind of your overall setup. Okay, I am on uh, 40 acres in the upstate of South Carolina. Um, I've got, uh, I have, I'm trying to think, I've probably got about maybe 18 or so acres um, fenced in specifically for the pigs, although I also have uh, cows and some sheep and horse chickens and that sort of thing. Um, I've, uh, (laughs) I've, I've been at this location for a couple years now. I started out um, in the southern part of South Carolina, uh, back in 2011, um, I had moved here from Maryland. Uh, I was actually an electrician for, for over 20 years. Um, I was a project manager in the end there and, uh, I farmed part time. Uh, I mostly raised black Angus feeder steers up there and I moved down here with the intention of doing the same thing. But, uh, like I said, I had gotten a few pigs and, um, Things just kind of took off from there. I've enjoyed the uh, grass-fed, natural, antibiotic-free sort of thing. And, um, you know, once I started advertising that I had that available, um, you know, phone calls came in slowly at first, you know. But uh, I've ramped up since then. Yeah, that's interesting. So, so from Maryland, I was gonna say you don't you don't sound like a a native South Carolinian there. You don't, you don't have that <laughs> Southern accent. Um, right. So you started in in Maryland as a as a cattle farmer. So uh, is that was that in in the family? Did you did you just kind of come out of school wanting to do that, or do you have a history with your family of doing that? No, no, not at all. In fact, I, I was born and raised in Baltimore. Um, we moved out of Baltimore when I was eighteen. 
um, to rural Maryland. I were about 45 minutes northwest of Baltimore. And uh, I was country boy, man. I, <laughs> I, 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 you know, kind of disconnected from all my city friends and made country friends. And, uh, you know, I had always enjoyed hunting and fishing and that sort of thing all along. Anyhow, my aunt had a farm um, up near where we had moved to, and she had pigs and a couple horses and that sort of thing. But uh, I had pretty much zero background. Um, but I enjoyed it and I enjoyed the rural life. And, uh, like I said, I was, you know, in the electrical trade, commercial electrical trade for, for all that time. And, um, <laughs> once they moved me into the office, that was, uh, that was my sign. <laughs> I was, you know, I was used to being out on a job all those years in different places and outdoors and that sort of thing. And they moved me into the office. It was a good gig, you know, great money and, you know, benefits they paid you know for everything vehicle gas insurance that sort of thing but uh um i just like being outside more than i liked it you know more than i like the benefits of it so of you know being in an office so uh i made the jump and we bought um uh 12 acres up there and and uh roped it in and you know i raised a few feeder steers and i grew a market garden which i had gardened you know for a long time prior to that um my dad was always always had some kind of garden going on so i learned a lot from him but uh you know over time i just kind of had a strong desire to you know to at least try it out full time so i saved up and moved to south carolina so was the move to south carolina to to acquire uh, more property or just be in a more, uh, a better temperate, uh, or, I'm sorry, more climate area. What, what was the motivation to go South? Um, I, well, I, the, the, the honest answer is, is, is the, um, Maryland politics and taxes <laughs> are the two, the two main reasons that I moved down here. I, I couldn't have bought, you know, I couldn't have gotten land like I got down here, uh, in Maryland, you know, not, not at the, uh, at even close to the same, you know, price. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, those are two good motivators. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was a, it was a financial, you know, it was, it was more geared towards a financial thing. Cause that's what I had wanted to do. And, you know, like I said, I couldn't get 40 acres up in Maryland for what I got it down here. Yeah, absolutely. So moving to South Carolina with the intent of, of working cattle and you said you got a couple pigs. What, what about the pigs won you over? Oh gosh. Um, I like bacon <laughs> and, you know, and, and, uh, I guess I, I don't know. It, it was something about them, you know, starting out the way that I did, I wasn't, you know, I, I wanted them on pasture and that sort of thing, but I, I made the same, you know, little mistakes and, and learning curve that everyone else does. I bought pigs from, you know, uh, a couple different places at the beginning and some did well on pasture, some didn't. Um, I learned early on to, you know, breed the better pigs, um, you know, the ones that perform better on pasture, the ones that were, you know, seemed to be a little bit more feed efficient, the ones that were better mothers, that sort of thing, um, you know, and having done that early on, um, that was part of, I, I think, um, what, you know, endeared me to pigs was, you know, they're, they're, they're very productive, um, you know, I get two litters a year out of, out of each sow um big litters you know typically typically big litters and um you know and of course the personalities <laughs> you know they're you know that's the other thing you know and i tell people this all the time i breed for temperament 
because um, that is something that 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 certainly is is uh, genetic and can carry, you know. So I don't breed mean pigs; I eat them. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah, I, I, definitely, I agree. I, you know, it's uh, temperament goes a long way, especially an animal you're going to work on a regular basis. If you always have a hateful animal, you got to be looking over your shoulder. That makes for a oh yeah, easy. absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's talk about your genetic program. We, uh, uh, I know we had talked to offline first about uh, some of the uh, some of the successes you've had with your your genetic breeding and and how that's gained some popularity in your area. Yeah, um, it, well, it's like I said, I've, I've I learned early on, you know, to breed, you know, which ones I wanted to keep the breed, and of course, I um, am a, a consummate researcher, so I'm always looking online, um, you know. Uh, about that sort of thing and what about pigs carries um you know genetically what the male contributes what the what the sows contribute you know that sort of thing so i think that um having started out small like that and selling you know really friendly pigs that you know produced really good quality meat um i i think that was a, a big key uh, to, to the growth, you know, that, that, that I've experienced, um, over the years, the, um, the, uh, the fact that, you know, there's plenty of pigs out there available and, um, not, not all pigs are great pigs, you know, and that's with any animal, you know, and they're, they're not all great. You got to pick and choose which ones, you know, which ones work for your system. And as, um, you know, the, the market came up to, you know, pastured pigs and, and that sort of thing. Um, as that market grew, I kind of grew into that market, you know, locally. And then just in the past few years, um, I've been shipping pigs uh, really all over the place, uh, mostly up and down the East Coast, a little bit West, um, over Alabama, Florida, pretty, pretty, pretty well east of the Mississippi, I would say. But um I'm able to produce, you know, good pigs that are consistent that, um, you know, uh, or that grow well. And I, once I got that reputation locally, um, it just kind of grew itself from there. I started getting, you know, calls from people farther and farther away <laughs> that, that wanted the pigs, but, um, the, the the hard part is shipping. Um, now I've actually found a fellow that I'm I'm working with that uh, he he does what he calls add-ons. So when he has something going, you know, if I have pigs I need to get to Virginia or Pennsylvania, if he's down this way or, or in the area and headed that way, I can schedule with him and and get shipping at a, a a more reasonable rate, you know, than most would. So what I can do is I can provide pigs to people in those other states at a competitive price and you know when when they're ordering these pigs from me they're they're getting 10 at a time 20 or more at a time and a lot of people that are buying them in those quantities are selling to typically are selling to restaurants um you know and chefs and that sort of thing and and i think that what the chefs want is is consistency so you know, the, the, these folks would have to go to, you know, if they needed 20 pigs, but they didn't want to breed pigs, they would have to go to two, three, four, five different farms to get pigs. And it's hard to be consistent that way. Right. So I can provide a pig at a competitive price, um, shipped to their door, basically, 
um, that's going to that and and that so they know what they're going to get. You know, each time it's going to be the same thing every time. You know that I send them. Uh, you know wherever it is that I'm sending them. Yeah. So what size are you typically shipping out in that situation? Um, well, they've all been between 50 and 75 pounds. Um, I've shipped a few larger ones here and there, and I've shipped a few breeders. Um, that's not the norm, but I've shipped a few breeders up to, uh, uh, a friend of mine, Andrew Tice up in Pennsylvania has one of my, one of my boarders and and a few other folks, but, uh, generally piglets. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, for the amount of uh, pigs that you're producing, uh, what percentage of, of those that you're that you're farrowing and and uh, and weaning on farm are are shipped out, and then which ones do you grow, or how many do you grow out? Well, I'm trying. Well, I have an on farm store, so I, I I need to have a pig a month for myself for the, just for the store, and I also sell pigs on the hoof. Um, uh, buy lie weight for freezer pork and I have regular customers. So I'm trying to hold back, you know, between three and five pigs, sometimes more than that a month. Um, now I'll hold back more in the spring for fall, uh, if, because I have more whole, you know, hog sales in the fall for freezer pork. Um, but generally I'm holding back, you know, between three and five a month just for myself, uh, you know, just to sell for myself. So, yeah. but I'm pretty diverse. I mean, I'm, I'm selling, <laughs> I'm selling all phases of pig. Barbecue is a really big thing down here. So summertime, I sell a lot of barbecue size pigs, which are typically from 50 to 125 pounds. Um, or, you know, sometimes a little more than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sell roaster pigs, uh, during the holidays. Um, of course the piglets, freezer pork, I have the orange farm store. So I'm kind of all over the place, but, um, I think it's good for a farm my size to not have all their eggs in one basket, if that makes sense. Because, you know, when, when I first, you know, started out doing that, one of my mistakes was trying to stick with just um, producing pork, you know, for people for their freezer and some piglets. I, I didn't really do anything else on top of that. But like I said, I'm, I'm doing the roasters and the barbecue pigs and, you know, a couple other things with them. Um, shows you know what i mean that sort of thing the 4-h kids are buying them now so and then and then of course i've gotten i've got cows out there now and and the sheep as well and i have a rather large market garden that i you know that i do every year so i it's still part of trying to be diverse on a farm to size it's not easy you know but uh, but it's necessary for being full-time for the for you know some kind of regularity of income yeah yeah and then that and that's that's the the point i was thinking it really helps with cash flow where you've got uh, all this uh, turnover of product at different times different seasons and you're not waiting for that one big payout at the end of the year sure well great so um wow there's there's a lot there so let's um let's back up a little bit and and talk about your setup so again uh not just pig exclusive on your on your pasture setup there so how do you have that set up with your your cattle and your sheep and your pigs are you are you you have your pigs sequestered in a specific area? Are they in a rotational process? Do you integrate uh, any of those? Yeah, I have four herds. Um, each herd is sired by large black boars, um, except for one, and I'll, I'll get into that in shortly. Um, but generally, I usually like to use large black boars as sires over for my herds, and my um, all my sows are either Tamworth or Blue Butt, and my Blue Butts are Yorkshire, um, Hampshire cross. 
Um, but the as far as the yeah, they're on where each 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 herd has um, usually three pastures that I rotate them back and forth to. Uh, you know, throughout the year, and then I have winter paddocks for them up near the house. Um, you know, where I can feed them hay and that sort of thing. They're a little bit closer in the winter time. Yeah, kind of a kind of a sacrificial area, I guess. Because South Carolina, right. you're you're far enough north where you still have a dormant season, I, I assume. Yeah, we do. Um, I'm 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 pretty much. We have grass down here about nine months of the year, about nine and a half months of the year, so it's not bad. But um, I've only been at this location for two years. The last place I was actually um, up to having it 11 months of the year because I was overseeing rye in the fall and that sort of thing. So I only had a small gap there where I had to feed hay. And I'm getting to that point here, um, but I haven't been here long enough <laughs> is what it, you know, what it boils down to. So uh, do you do you keep your uh, pigs exclusive? That they don't integrate with the sheep or the ca- cattle in any way? No, no, no. The, 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 uh, sheep have their own pasture. I only have six, uh, at the moment, but that population is going to double this fall. <laughs> um, and then, uh, the cows are in kind of a U shape around the outside of where all the pig pastures are. Hmm. Um, but they, you know, and they had their own space as well. Yeah. So I assume in that, in that situation, your, your pigs aren't crossing over into sheep pasture or into into right. cattle pasture because pigs can right. be a little harder on the pasture. If sheep make it look like a golf course. Uh, pigs make it look like a landmine. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, mine aren't too bad with that. I mean, they do a little bit of surface rooting, but um, that's something that I've tried to select for over the years too. And I still have a few out there that root more than I would like, but they have so many other, you know, positive attributes that I, I kind of keep them around, <laughs> keep them around anyway. And it's, but it's, it's not too bad. Um, a lot of times if I get a pasture that turns up in poor shape, uh, it's usually because it's rained a lot. Um, and they tend to root, they seem to tend to root more when the ground's soft. And we've had a crazy amount of rain, um, since like August, uh, it's actually interfered with my planning quite a bit. Mm. Uh, yeah, so, you know, it's been a crazy it's, it's, year for a rain. That's for sure. Oh, it's been terrible. <laughs> I know a lot of farmers down here are starting to worry about it because we just can't get out in the field. Yeah, you 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 talked about um, that you had uh, I think it was three large black that you breed, but you had another yeah. boar that was that was different. What, what's going on there? So I'm involved um, in a project. Uh, I've been working on it for about two, almost three years now. Um, I'm creating a new breed of pig, um, and uh, I'm actually working with a geneticist from Clemson, uh, Clemson University. Mm-hmm. And it's um it's going well. It's actually going really well. They are um they're they're called a Carolina spot hog, and they are uh there's a breed that's not over here yet. It's actually still exists over in England and and a couple other parts of Europe. It's called an Oxford Sandy and Black. And what it is is it's um it's it's a large blackish body type pig. But it's red, um, red, sandy red color, and it's got black spots and kind of blotches on it. And they have uh, partially down ears. That, that's what the Oxford Sandy and Black looks like. Mine are very similar to that. Um, they're they're an orangey red kind of base color, and they have the black splotches on them. Um, only mine, my, my, ear, my hog's ears tend to be a little bit more upright. <clears throat> but... Um, 
I'm going to have those available. They'll be pedigreed. Uh, we're working on our third line now so that we can, so that we can, you know, do that. So we can offer them as pedigreed breeders and that sort of thing. But, uh, it's probably going to be, um, maybe this winter before, uh, before they're going to be available. Oh, that's excellent. Well, I'll definitely have to touch base with you again once that uh, gets to that point, because we'll definitely uh, want to dive deeper into that. That's a that's a whole other discussion yeah. right there. It's been a fascinating project, really. I, I started out, well, um, you know, some of the pigs that I was breeding um, came out, you know, red or red with spots and that sort of thing. And, and I called on early that they sell really fast <laughs> because, you know, and not there's anything wrong with it, but, you know, people want a, a, a nice looking pig in their pasture you yeah, know and they're exactly. they're they're pretty pigs you know so uh i kind of got the idea to do that and just just uh, i did a little bit of research about it now genetics is uh it's it's a little out of my pay grade <laughs> i'm learning as much as i can but the geneticists have been very helpful as far as you know um advising me who to breed to who and that sort of thing we had to start out with a breed standard of course mm. um a, a tight breed standard um i know there's another so-called breed out there that's not actually a breed and they're making a lot it, it it's kind of disappointing to me because i feel like they're taking advantage of um you know of uh farmers or beginning especially beginning people that don't really maybe know any better but that breed or so-called breed is um it's not really a breed. <laughs> it's a four-way cross, and it's it's they come in all different colors and body types and ears up and down, and it's just you know they're just kind of all over the place. When you're developing a breed, a proper breed, um, you know that's going to be pedigreed and so on. You you gotta you gotta have a breed standard, and you gotta stick to it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So exactly. yeah. you know, and that's that's just you know that's just how it's got to be. So I'm trying to do it the right way. It takes a lot longer doing it the right way <laughs> but i feel like but i feel like i'm going to be able to offer a better you know uh better more consistent product in the end yeah that should pay off dividends in the end definitely yeah well, excellent okay well um let's talk about um your, your farrowing setup so uh so you're you're breeding with your boars um, how do you how do you farrow on the farm um pretty much on pastures i have some shelters out there um sometimes they use them sometimes they don't uh it's entirely up to the sows what they want to do more frequently than not they seem to have them outside uh you know under a tree away from the herd mm -hmm. but so i don't have anything specific um you know again one of my requirements for a breeder is that she be a really good mom you know and that they um farrow without trouble and that um, um i i can be as, as hands off as possible i'm a busy guy so i don't have time to pull pigs and you know that sort of thing uh i'd rather not yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know I, I i do what i gotta do you know what i mean I, i've never pulled a pig to be honest with you I've, I've actually never pulled a pig here um and i've had thousands but um you know over the years but uh you know i, I think that that harkens back to you know choosing which pigs you want to breed and the better of the you know the better of them that you do breed yeah yeah exactly that comes back to good animal husbandry and and like you say selecting that uh that feature in your in your breeding yeah i think that most people it's, selecting a pig you know to keep and breed it, it, it's not easy you know what i mean it, it sounds like okay 
you know, you have a pig out there. She looks good. She eats well. She grew up well. She's very feed efficient. She's really friendly, that sort of thing. And then you go and breed them. And then, you know, they have a um, an okay litter or they lay on a bunch or something like that. And everybody wants to give them a second chance, which I do. Um, and they may or may not do okay. But, you know, economically, um, you have to be careful doing that, especially if you're doing it full time, you know, and, and you know, it, it's not easy to eat a friendly pig that you've kept around, <laughs> you know, for a couple of years, you know, to, to, to breed or whatever. And it don't work out. If it don't work out, it don't work out. You know, it is what it is. But I think a lot of people make a mistake by maybe giving too many chances or hanging on to a pig for too long. Yeah. You know, uh, you're just feeding it to eat it. Yeah, I, I have to confess, I've got a hamster that's dangerous close to becoming a pet because uh, <laughs> right. nice, nicest temperament that you ever imagined. Just just a great animal, but mm-hmm. she's definitely a little long in the tooth. Yeah, and I get that. You know, I mean, I do get that. It's a, but that's part of you know, that's part of the gig. Like I said, if you're you know, if if you're going to do it full time, then you you know, you got to select hard for for what your you know your goals. You got to select for your goals and and. Um, you know, it's not always to do that, but you know, easy that easy to do that. But, but I got way too many pigs out there to hang on to one that's not performing, you know, like like it should or like I expected it to. Yeah, so, what is your goal when you when you look at litter size? When you're assessing a sow and you say, okay, this this is the minimum I expect from a litter to to get a, a check mark by the box there. Right. Um. Never less than eight piglets. Uh, or I should say, rarely less than eight piglets. Now, you know, stuff happens. It's not always the sow's fault. You got to, you know, there's always other things to consider. But if she's consistently having less than eight pigs, I'm I'm not going to breed her. You know what I mean? I'm not going to keep her around. Um, you know, temperament, I got to be able to get in there and handle the pigs without her losing it. Um, now, I want them to be concerned when that piglet screams. Um, we have predators here. Uh, we have bears, we have coyotes, um, hawks, uh, you know, that sort of thing. I've had very, very, very few bobcats too. I've had very few, um, you know, incidents of that. Frankly, I think coyotes are a little afraid of domestic pigs, but, um, I want her to be able to, you know, I want her to defend them. You know, I don't want her to stand there and watch something eat, (laughs) eat her babies. Absolutely. Uh, so she's got to have a little gumption to her, but, uh, but she has to be friendly enough to let me in there and, you know, at least hand home and, you know, get a head count and mark them if I'm marking them and that sort of thing. Um, you know, and, and, uh, unassisted births or, or again, are a big thing to me. I kind of like going out there in the morning and be surprised, <laughs> you know, that, uh, my Sal had 12 piglets last night or whatever. It happens all the time, yeah, that's you know, awesome. it's great. I love it, but I don't want to have to be out there babysitting them. I can't, you know, I just can't do that. So that's, you know, that, that as far as a, a breeding, the breeding end of it, um, that's pretty much it. The only other thing is, is, you know, the numbers weaned against what she had, um, I expect 90%. So if she has 14 piglets, she really needs to wean 13 for me to keep her around. 12 is, you know, bordering. If it's less than that, then that's not really acceptable. If she does that a couple of times in a row, she's going to get replaced. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, of course the piglets got to grow up. Um, she's got to have enough milk for, you know, for all the piglets to grow up. Another thing I want to point out, um, I don't breed a sow that has less than 14 teats, um, and I prefer 16 if that's, you know, if that's possible. One of the things about using a large blacks is it tends to, um, that 
tends to carry. Uh, <clears throat> they all seem to have 14 or more teats, and the breeders that I've kept, uh, you know, like I said, four, no less than 14 because I like, you know, I like the big litters and I like for them to be able to feed them. Yeah. So that's another another aspect of it uh, that I, you know, just wanted to point that out because with big litters, <laughs> you know, if they only have 12 teats and they have 14 piglets, then somebody's going to struggle. Yeah, and I mean that's a good point of of selecting genetics is is yeah, a good litter is is just. Uh, part of the equation, like you said, if you got a, you got a sow that throws great litters, but she doesn't have a good teat count, then then you're kind of fighting an uphill battle there. Exactly right. Yeah, and I'm I'm not gonna I don't bottle feed and pan feed. You know, I don't do much yeah. of that either. <laughs> Nobody's got time for that. <laughs> low maintenance pigs. I like very low maintenance pigs, but you got to breed for it. Yeah. So. Yeah, bottle bottle fed pigs a tough pig pig to take uh, to the processor. <laughs> yeah, I've been there. <laughs> I guess we all have. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, having kids on the farm is a little tough sometimes. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about if we could, uh, David, talk a little bit about your your feed. So, uh, what's your feed ration? Do you have any um, goals or, or uh, rules that you have with your feed, or your source, and all that? Yeah, I've done a lot of experimenting over the years. Um, I started out buying bag feed, which seems, you know, everybody, most people seem to do. Um, and I've gotten stuff from, uh, you know, other sources here and there. My market garden has been a big help. Uh, I, I tend to grow more, a lot more than I'll sell or use myself. <clears throat> so they, you know, they, they get quite a bit from that. And of course, being on pasture, they, pasture makes up a big part of their diet. Um, but the feed itself i've actually gone through a few different things and i've experimented and what i've come up with what i've settled on is i have a, a another farm that's uh, kind of local to me and i got with him a couple months ago <clears throat> i had been buying uh corn um wheat and oats and mixing it together and it was a pretty good feed it wasn't bad i think the protein might have been a little bit low um, I tried it for a while. It was okay. But what I did was sunflowers, a lot of farms grow sunflowers down here. Hmm. And I started adding sunflowers to that mix. And then, you know, I got with this farmer and I'm having it ground. It's been amazing. It's been really, really, really good. All the pigs look good. Their coats, their coats look shiny, <laughs> you know, and I think that it has to do with the oil, um, some of the oils that are found in the, in the uh, black oil sunflower seeds. So now, <clears throat> what I'm doing is he's he's grinding it um, coarse. It's uh, corn, wheat, oats, um, millet, and black oil sunflower seeds. <clears throat> and um, uh, when the Parsons square comes up to about 15% um, protein, the way that I'm mixing it. So, you know, it's it's I, I think it's a it's a uh, I'm trying to think of the word I'm looking for. It's it, it's a broad feed. I think it covers a lot of bases as far as fat and um, you know protein, of course, and selenium. Where soil tends to be a little selenium deficient down here, so you know some of that's made up for um, in the feed. So what I do is I take and have him grind it. He's putting it in uh, feed totes. Um, they're 1,600 pounds each. And what I do is I'll take and um, put them in 55 gallon barrels and I'll soak them for usually two or three days uh, to soften it up before I feed them. It's not, it's not quite fermenting, but it's kind of beginning to when I feed it to them. Yeah. And, uh, and of course that's, you know, the hotter it is, the faster it happens, <laughs> you know, so you gotta, you gotta use some judgment there. Um, but 
but it's uh it, it's that, that's working out best for me um at this point um with the amount of pigs that i have i can fill up five gallon buckets with that stuff and put them on my little trailer and distribute them to each of the pastures in the evening so it's uh it's pretty good and it's turned out to be a good feed so that's that's interesting so you're doing a a manual daily feed process versus versus giving uh, your your finishers unlimited access to to a large feed center. Yeah, I tried that, and I know other people that have tried that, and some people like it, and some people have time restraints. Um, you know, where they 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 might not have time to feed uh, every day or twice a day or however they they choose to do it. So I understand that people do use self feeders. Um, I prefer not to because I want you know, again, goals, right? Uh, one, one of my goals is for that, for a large percentage of their diet to come from pasture. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm only feeding, even my breeders, they're only getting about maybe five or six pounds a day of wet feed, um, each. And I only feed them once a day in the evening. Hmm. So they're getting everything else they need out there. Yeah. Well, are, are you having to offer any mineral supplement with that, or do you think that's all been covered in your in your feed mix? I haven't found anything that they're deficient, and usually there will be some kind of sign if there's a deficiency. Um, so far, so good. Everybody, you know, everyone looks good. They're not digging, you know, a, a back to the rooting thing. A lot of times when they do root, um, uh, I've seen pigs eat dirt before, and I'm sure that that's, you know, there's something, some mineral that they're not getting from their feed that they're looking for. And I'm, I'm not seeing any of that with this, uh, this formula. Excellent. So you, you'd mentioned your market garden, how much are, are you seeing, are you seeing the produce coming out of that for your pigs? Is that helping offset some of the feed consumption? Or do you think that's kind of a bonus on top? Uh, it's kind of a bonus on top. You know, sometimes I'll get a, like, uh, I've got a row of kale out there that I grew this past year and I've been, chopping it here and there for them, you know, and just, just kind of tossing it in there after they eat and, um, you know, that sort of thing. It's a, it's a little more of a supplement bonus kind of thing than, than the regular thing. One thing I do is in the wintertime, um, a lot of stuff that overwinters well, uh, turnips, kale, mustard, that sort of thing. I'll put that stuff in extra just for the pigs so they actually have something green to eat um, in the wintertime, and I'll try and cut some for them once or twice a week. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're not getting anything green off a pasture and I'm feeding them hay at that point. Right. Yeah. So that definitely can help offset. Right. Well, excellent. Well, um, you had mentioned your farm store. So uh, that's that's pretty compelling. So I was looking at you say you're in Jonesville, South Carolina, correct? Mm -hmm. Right. So um, I guess is that considered a suburb of Spartanburg? Um, I am in a triangle, almost center of a triangle. Um, if you draw a line between uh, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina, and Greenville, Spartanburg, South Carolina, I'm kind of in the middle of that triangle. Yeah, yeah. And um, as far as, you know, marketing-wise, now I'm very rural, so it's not easy to get people, you know, outside of the neighborhood, I guess you'd say, to come and, you know buy a couple pounds of you know sausage for example each week or something like that it happens you know i have regular people that do come um you know once a month visitors i call them but uh you know the the, the what i'm trying to do here is 
I'm offering the pork, um, you know, beef. I'll have lamb, the vegetables, and I'm doing another thing this, that's new for me this year. Um, I'm growing sunflowers out by the road, and it's like a uh, kind of like a photo op thing more than anything. I've got some old farm equipment out there that I'm going to plant right around, you know, with the sunflowers and that sort of thing. I have a cousin up in Maryland that did it. He had a little, I'll tell you real quick, uh, he had a little vegetable stand up there, and <laughs> He, um, you know, with just like an honor box or whatever, and he, uh, you know, he, he was doing okay. He was actually a little better area than I am, but his wife one year, a couple of years ago, asked him to plant some sunflowers along, you know, down the bottom of the driveway down by his thing. Well, uh, instead of planting, you know, like a little spot of sunflowers, his driveway is like an eighth of a mile long. He planted both sides of his driveway all the way up to his house, and it was beautiful, but he drew so many more people there you know, and, and selling stuff that he actually expanded on that. And he, he now has, you know, a big field of sunflowers and, you know, it's, it's grown into cut flowers and vases and, you know, all this other. So he's made himself a, a destination farm, so exactly. to speak. Yeah. And I'm, I'm kind of emulating what he's doing. Uh, so we'll have cut flowers this year and sunflowers and photo ops. And I have a, uh, you know, a photographer that we're working with and it's uh, hopefully going to be pretty good. My, my Facebook ads that I did, the first ad <clears throat> that I did for, um, uh, and I didn't, this is just, you know, not, not ads that I paid for, but ads that I put on, you know, uh, yard sale sites for Charlotte and you know what I mean? That, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I had 35,000 hits on that ad. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. I know. But, you know, there, there's not a lot of people doing that sort of thing. So, you know, it, it, I, I think it's going to be a good draw for the farm. Well, that's huge. And, and being able to value add to the farm, again, helps with cash flow, helps with just uh, diversifying uh, your income streams. And, and again, it, it can open some doors. Like you said, your buddy up north that discovered, hey, I'm, I'm going to expand on this and make this an additional revenue stream that could actually right. be, uh, not only paying for itself, it could actually be carrying some other, other yeah. areas there. Absolutely. And he's selling a lot more vegetables now, too. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, agritourism agri is a real thing. Uh, some people kind of yeah. scoff and laugh when they hear about it, but it, it is a real thing. And if you can, yeah. you, you said the word right there, destination location. If you can set up your farm operation where it's inviting, bringing people in, then a destination location is going, is going to pay dividends. You're going to get sales across the board in, in so many areas. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, yeah, I'm, 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 you know, and like, yeah, exactly. Diversification. That's what we, you know, like we were talking about earlier. Um, that's just one more thing to add, you know, to to all the stuff that I have, other stuff that I have to offer. Um, yeah. So to balance to balance the income, you oh, know, yeah, what it pulls down. So if you've got people coming in, obviously buying cuts. Are you going out? Are you are you doing any type of distribution or delivery route with uh, with your cuts? No, no, I haven't, haven't done any of that. Like I said, I'm in a very rural area, so, you know, there's only so many people um, around here that, uh, that I would do that. And then there's, you know, places like Greenville and stuff. There's other smaller um, pastured operations that are doing the farmer's market and that sort of thing up there. And I'm, I'm not trying to encroach, you know, on them. I, I prefer to help <laughs> the other, you know, other pastured farms wherever I can. I get phone calls all the time. Um, I guess because of expanding and shipping and I have a pretty good Facebook presence. Um, I get phone calls from people all the time, not, not just people that buy piglets from me. Um, but you know, nationally, I talked to a guy from Texas not that long ago. He's not going to buy pigs from me, but, um, he was wanting to know about, you know, 
having them on pasture and their behavior and overseeding pasture and that sort of thing. And I'm happy to help. I ended up spending an hour and a half on the phone with them, but, um, I, I, I don't mind doing that. I, I think that, you know, expanding it anywhere is good for what I call the trade, you know, the pasture trade itself, you know, so if there's other people out there that I can get help get started, um, even if they're not buying anything from me, that's okay. You know, um, I'm, I'm happy to help, you know, happy to help them get started. And I've gotten a lot of people started around here, even to the point that, um, you know, they could be competition someday, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's, that's all part of the game. <laughs> well, and, that, and that's a good point. And I, I love that philosophy and I love that attitude because there's, there's a lot of people that would complain in, in the pasture pork industry that complain and say, Oh, you know, somebody else is doing this. They're really killing the market. They're driving the prices down. It's tough. Yeah. And, and the, I think we got to watch, we got to keep from falling into this commodity ideal that it's something unique about pasture pig. And, and also, your operation, your operation should be unique. And, and, and I, I, yeah. I agree with you. I, I kind of take the philosophy of a, a rising tide lifts all ships there. So the more awareness right. we can build in people about uh, pastured operation, the more we can kind of, you know, uh, build up our industry as compared to uh, the big CAFO operations. That's exactly right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, you know, competition isn't necessarily a bad thing. You know, staying in the game is the hard part. So you've got people out there, you know, I'll sell piglets to people. I have people come to me all the time. They say, you know, I want a male and I want two or three females or whatever. And, and I've, you know, I ask them, you know, are, are you going to breed these? You know, what are your intentions with them? And if that's what they want to do, great. You know what I mean? I'll sell it to them and I'll, I'll help them out. But a lot of times um, I had a lady come not that long ago that wanted exactly that. She wanted two, two gilts and a boar. And uh, I ended up, you know, talking her out of it and i didn't talk her out of it because of the competition i talked her out of it because you know she she's in a she's not too far from here and um i told her i said you know you're going to have two two sows out there for one thing they're not even going to breed you know for seven eight months then you're going to wait you know three three months three weeks three days for for your litters then all of a sudden you're going to have you know 20 pigs that you have to sell you know, do you have a market for 20 pigs? You know, that, that, that's what it boils down to. And, uh, I said, have you raised, you know, have you raised pigs before? Her answer was no. So I told her, I said, look, I said, just get a couple feeders. I said, I'm not going anywhere. I said, if you want to buy, you know, if you want to buy them now, you know, I mean, I'll sell them to you. I said, but you know, if I were you, I'd probably just get a couple feeders and try it out and test your fences and see how you like the pigs and, you know, um, see how it goes from there. And, and she did, she took it. She you know, I told her, I said, I'm not trying to talk you out of anything. I said, I'm just trying to give you some, some good advice from somebody exactly. that's been there. <laughs> yeah. Know? And that's, that's some solid advice. Yeah, I mean, I, right. I always shudder when I hear people say, Hey, I've, I've, I've done this. I've bred. Now I've got, I've got 20 pigs or I finished X amount of pigs. Uh, right. And it's, it's time to take them to the processor here in a couple of weeks. Now I got to sell them. And then yeah, you, almost, exactly. you must grasp your heart and say, Oh my goodness, what are you doing? Right. Right. Yeah. And then that's the thing, you know, it's, uh, I'm not trying to put anybody out of business. I'm trying to make it. So if she wants to breed down the road, she will have some pig experience, you know, under, under her belt. She knows how they're going to act. She knows how much they're going to eat, you know, and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, if I told her, I said, I told her along, you know, and along the way, while you're doing this, I said, if you want to do that, I said, start telling people now that you're going to have pork later, you know, and, and, you know, plant that seed in their head that they're going to, you're going to have pork available at some point. They want to buy a whole pig. They want to buy cuts, however they choose to do it, you know? 
Absolutely. Yeah. When in the, in the, in the long term, they're better off. Yeah, I agree. Well, excellent. Well, let's uh, talk briefly about uh, processing. So, uh, so for stocking your store there, um, what's your experience been with your processors? Do you have access to to multiple processors? Do you have a good relationship with your processors? Um, I have three. Uh, I guess you could say in the area. The the one that I've used the, the most is actually the farthest away. They're about two hours and fifteen minutes away. That's about the way it usually um, works, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but there, there's actually another one that, that um, I didn't even know they were USDA. I knew they were processed, right? They were USDA. So I'm going to try them out. They're only about an hour away. I do have a processor that's much closer, about forty minutes away, but um, not a good reputation. So. I'm not taking my pigs there <laughs> just based on th- th- this place is like, th- well, I put it to you this way. They took their, they took their reviews off of Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. So that people can't say, I mean, that, that right there tells you, you know, yeah, it speaks volumes. Yeah, exactly. So I've, you know, that, and I've, I spoke to them, you know, and I did talk to the, the owner on the phone a few times, um, just to, to see for myself. Cause I'm not one to take, take somebody else's word, you know, processors they don't have it so easy either you know what i mean and and um uh there's there's things that can go wrong you know what i mean and there's mistakes that are made sometimes and i get that and i try to be as uh as understanding as i can but some of the stuff that they're doing is just you know uh beyond <laughs> beyond the beyond the pale so i'm not gonna uh i'm not gonna take my yeah and that seems to be a continual struggle we have um as as pig farmers where you you end up raising a good product and then it's in the hands of a processor. So you, you definitely mm-hmm. want to do your homework there and, and, and get that yeah. relationship. Yeah. And I would, I would encourage anybody that's, you know, uh, new or looking at a new processor, look at their reviews. You know what I mean? Go on Google, look at their reviews, check their Facebook page, you know, that sort of thing. Um, don't be too hard on them if they have one or two bad reviews because it happens. Um, but, you know, if they got 100 reviews and one bad one, they're probably a good processor, you know. Yeah. Uh, but if they've got 100 reviews and 20 of them are bad, then I'm not going there. But that's a good way to find out, you know. Yeah, yeah I agree. <clears throat> right. Well, um, let's see, we're, we're, we're creeping up on our 45-minute uh, mark here, David. I don't want to mm-hmm. burn your entire evening. So um, if we could, let's let's wrap up with – what would you say is is your best experience or your favorite part of raising pigs on pasture? My favorite part of raising pigs on pasture, that's, you know, there's so much I like about it. I enjoy interacting with them every day. Um, all my f- pigs are, you know, puppy dog friendly. So I'm frequently out there back scratching and belly rubbing. <laughs> yeah. So I, th- I think just interacting with them, you know, um, one-on-one kind of thing is, uh, that's that's probably my favorite part. Excellent. Yeah, there's just something about being out and interacting with the animals, being outside, and and just recognizing the personality. Pigs got so much personality. It's just it's just they really, really do, and it's unique to each one. It's not like they're all the same either. Exactly. Yeah. Well, excellent. Well, if people want to learn more about Six Oaks Farms, where can they find information? Um, well, I am on Facebook. Um, like I said, I got a pretty good Facebook presence. I keep my page updated frequently. Um, we have a lot of uh, events coming up. The uh, uh, South Carolina Ag and Art Tour will be here um, in June. Um, that's where we actually have uh, different farms around a couple counties in the upstate. Um, 
the uh, organization will send artisans to your farm and people, you know, the public can come around and do, uh, do tours and purchase your, your, uh, whatever you're offering and, and uh, see the artisans that are run the gamut from, you know, um, painting and stained glass and, and pottery to musicians and, uh, and that sort of thing. It's really, it's really nice events, a two day event. Um, and I have a, um, uh, webpage as well. It's uh, sixoaksfarm.webs.com. And I can always be reached um, by phone. Um, again, even if somebody just has some questions, that's okay. Uh, feel free to call. If I don't pick up leaving me a message or send me a text or whatever, and I'll get back, my number is 803-580-7448. Excellent. Well, all right. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, hopefully nobody blows your phone up over and over. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll post I'll post the links to your Facebook page, to your, your website, and then I'll post that information in the uh, show notes there. So I appreciate can access that. Well, David, I appreciate your time. And again, it was a pleasure talking to you. I, I'd, I'd love to come back and talk to you again when you um, you get that new breed line figured out and, and settled down. So I'd, I'd love to talk to you in the, in the future as, as opportunity arises there. Absolutely. Anytime. Well, have a great evening and appreciate you talk, talking with us. Thank you. You too. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. Mm-hmm. Bye now. <laughs> well, well, man, isn't that great? That was, um, again, I really appreciate David taking the time to talk with us and um, anxious to have him back on the podcast to, to see how things are going and uh, to talk about some specific issues. Uh, the, he's, he, he provided a lot of insight there, you know, a lot of a lot of questions that I could ask that could turn into the entire podcast just by themselves. So um, check him out. His information I'll have down in the uh, show notes there. Uh, he has a website. He does uh, he does order uh, take orders on the website for uh, for processed pork and beef. Uh, but then he also has an opportunity to sell feeder pigs. And as you heard, he does a lot of transporting there. So if you're looking for some feeder pigs, if you if you want to try out this new breed line. Uh, as he has that coming online soon, uh, then maybe you can order from him on that. Well, I hope everyone has a great day. Again, we appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. Please, if you don't mind, uh, if you like this podcast, uh, share it with your friends that uh, that are interested in pastured pork. Also, uh, go to iTunes if you don't mind. Leave us a review. Give us a rating if you would, please. Hopefully a positive rating. Uh, that helps other people find us. And uh, spread the word there. Our, our downloads are starting to increase, and, and we appreciate that. That means I'm not transmitting into the abyss. Um, and obviously check us out. If you want more information on what we've got going on here, you can find us at redtoolhouse.com. We're on Facebook under the same, and we have an Instagram account as well. All right. Well, everyone take care. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com.